Welcome to Season 2 of A Just Transition from RBS International. My name's Tim Phillips and I am delighted to say that after Season 1, they've let me hang around. But one person we definitely couldn't do Season 2 without, that's my co-host Bradley Davidson, RBS International's ESG lead. Hello, Bradley. Hi, Tim. It's great to be back with you and welcome to our listeners. I'm excited to bring you all a new series of A Just Transition. Yeah, it's great to have the band back together, isn't it? So, Bradley, remind me, what is Just Transition about? Yes, of course. It wouldn't be an episode opener without reminding everyone what we're doing. Yes. Our podcast creates a space for insightful and honest ESG discussions as we work together to rewire our financial system, helping our planet, people and businesses to thrive. Each month, we invite an industry expert or two in this case, our listeners are lucky today, (laughs) to share their views across a range of ESG topics exploring the challenges and opportunities facing funds as they secure their position in a truly sustainable economy. And I'll just say it now, and I won't say it for the rest of the series, but for those of you joining us for the first time, please do go back and listen to the first series of A Just Transition. 2021 was a landmark year for ESG, and Mm -hmm. we've got some great content waiting for you. But don't do it yet, because we've got the rest of this episode first. So Bradley, what is in this episode and who are our guests? Yeah, so we are starting series two with a big topic, discussing whether all finance is sustainable finance. Mm. Across the financial industry, we're seeing capital providers setting ambitious sustainability targets, often committing to global standards such as the 2015 Paris Agreement. In parallel, we've seen a surge in sustainable lending through designated products such as sustainability linked or green loans. Data shows us that sustainable loan volumes increased by an estimated 300% year on year in 2021. And even when we account for the macroeconomic impacts of COVID-19, it's clear that interest in these products continues to grow. These two seemingly independent statements lead to a natural question of when will all finance be sustainable finance? And to help us tackle this large topic, I'm pleased to say that we're joined by Julia Kepi, Senior Counsel in the Jersey Banking Team at Walker's, and Alice White, an associate in the same team. I had the pleasure of speaking with Julia and Alice on the We Talk Banking and Financing podcast, so I know we're in for a great discussion today. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the podcast, Bo. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Thanks, Bradley. So we're starting with a big question, Alice, and I'm going to point it to you first. Do you believe that all finance is sustainable finance or are we not there yet? Well, obviously, Bradley, speaking from from a Jersey perspective, in short, my answer is going to be no. But obviously, those statements and figures you just gave in the introduction there are mind blowing when you think of where we came from. But can we say with all confidence at the moment that all finance is sustainable finance? My answer to that has to be no. But if we can take a step back, if you don't mind, I think the answer to that question is always going to depend on the respondent's interpretation of what sustainable finance means and actually what sustainable even means. And there's still a lot of disparity out there in relation to that at the moment. If we take the European Commission's view that sustainable finance is the process of taking ESG considerations into account when making investment decisions in the financial sector, leading to more long-term investment in sustainable economic activities and projects. 
Given the introduction of recent legislation, which I'm sure we'll touch on a bit later in the podcast, we're definitely making those positive steps towards achieving that goal of making all finance sustainable finance. Looking at where the finance industry is at the moment, there's definitely been that fundamental change over recent years. It has been incredible. We now have and are continuing to develop, as Bradley can speak to, I'm sure, a lot of special types of funding for sustainable projects. And Julia and I have seen that in the facility documents that are coming across our desks. I don't think, and Bradley, you can stop me if I'm wrong, but I don't think every lender is integrating sustainability considerations into every credit decision that they're making at the moment. And ESG criteria isn't always getting the same prominence as those traditional factors. And that's really where we need to get to if we want to say with all confidence that all finance is sustainable finance. So in short, we've come a long way. We're going in the right direction. We're getting there, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Bradley, if we've come a long way and we are going to carry on going in that direction, then everyone needs some kind of ESG or sustainability story. That's an incentive for greenwashing, isn't it? How do we make sure that we discourage this? Yeah, it's a huge topic. And the phrase greenwashing cuts through industries and Mm. has solidified its position in the lexicon of the general public. It's hard to think of a week gone by where a company isn't being accused of inflating its green credentials. It's an incredibly important topic and an emerging risk for many of our customers. Funds can fall foul of greenwashing either intentionally or unintentionally. And I think that's important to highlight right at the start of talking about greenwashing. I'd like to focus on the latter as having worked with our customers, there's definitely a nervousness brewing for those wanting to differentiate their investments through an ESG strategy. However, without clear guidelines or regulation, the risk of unintentionally greenwashing increases with that marketing push Mm. as they do try to demonstrate their strong ESG credentials. When we look at how we tackle greenwashing, we really do need that guidance to come from regulators. And within the first couple of months of 2022, we've seen an intensified focus. The integrity of the sustainable finance market requires those boundaries so that participants can make informed decisions based on accurate information. We're seeing multiple regulators crop up with greenwashing regulations. So in Jersey, for instance, the Financial Services Commission published new disclosure requirements for sustainable investments. In the UK, recently, the Competition and Markets Authority recommended actions for the UK government to define phrases such as carbon neutral and recycled. And in the UK in particular, I'm really hopeful that the anticipated launch of the UK green taxonomy will lead to greater greenwashing guidance as we define what green activity means from an investment perspective. If we're looking at those that have potentially led the way here, and Alice has referred to it, but in Europe, we have the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation, or SFDR, as we'll Mm -hmm. refer to it. Otherwise, everyone will get bored with us saying that (laughs) phrase. And really, the regulation is designed to help asset owners and retail clients understand, compare, and monitor the sustainability characteristics of funds. Many of our listeners, if this isn't your first time joining us on the podcast, will be familiar with the phrases Article 6, 8, and 9. Um, Tim always pushes me each time to explain what they mean, so I'm sure we'll come on to that Mm -hmm. at some point. But thankfully today we've got guests, so hopefully it won't be me this time. (laughs) It would not be an episode of Just Transition without me making Bradley explain some regulation or other 
But Alice, maybe you can help out with some of the detail on this because we are seeing funds classified as Article 6, Article 8, Article 9. What's the difference here? <laughs> okay. I'll try my best to keep it as concise as possible. <laughs> Please. <laughs> as Bradley mentioned, these classifications 6, 8 and 9 come from SFDR. Um, mm-hmm. So when we mention or we talk about Article 6 funds, these relate to really the integration of sustainability risks into the funds. So Article 6 requires asset managers to disclose the integration of the sustainability risks in their funds. Mm-hmm. Then if you take it up a little step, your Article 8 funds, commonly referred to as your light green funds, these apply to funds that promote environmental environmental or social characteristics or a combination of them both and then take a step up again and refer to your article 9 funds commonly referred to as your dark green funds and that article applies to funds that have sustainable investment really as their objective and like Bradley mentioned, if I can bring it back a little bit to Jersey, from a Jersey perspective, mm-hmm. Jersey fund, which falls within the scope of SFDR, will be required to make certain disclosures as to the way it addresses sustainability risks in its policies and procedures and its sustainability risk impact assessment. Any fund which is promoting environmental or social characteristics or has a sustainable investment objective will need to make some additional disclosures on how those characteristics or objectives are met. And then, of course, Jersey came along and introduced its own EU disclosure rules. And these represent what the JFSC considers to be commercially viable and proportional requirements, which are in line with industry feedback they have received and international standards. They're not a direct replication of SFDR and slightly different from SFDR. They don't depend on the nature and degree of the fund's sustainability objective, but I'll not go into too much detail on that. We walkers are back on hand if there are any queries from the listeners. Thank you, Alice. And I think that's just touching on a point that you made when we're, we're looking at EU regulation and we're comparing it to Jersey regulation. As with any formation of ESG disclosures, I think it's really important that we push for convergence on a global level. It's incredibly difficult to achieve, but we will see funds customers tackling multiple jurisdictions and their individual regulations. And that is going to create barriers to trying to do the right thing here. And I think it's an important topic that we'll continue to talk about. And hopefully we're moving in the right direction. As you pointed out, there are some items being leveraged in Jersey from SFDR, but we're definitely not perfect yet across the board. Now, you mentioned Article 9, which maybe is less commonly spoken about. Julia, are you seeing any Article 9 funds yet? From a Jersey perspective, I have to say not really. We have in our sort of transactions come across an Article 9 fund that is currently in the process of seeking finance, but unfortunately not a Jersey fund. We are really optimistic, though, that as more data becomes available and processes become standardised, regulations that we were just talking about, for example, that we will see more funds classified as Article 9. You know, really hope that there's motivation out there for the relevant parties to reach that standard. On a positive note, though, from our viewpoint, we are seeing a lot more Article 8 funds in Jersey and in our transactions generally. So that's good. And, you know, obviously development is huge and quick in this area. So we'll see where we are in a couple of months time, hopefully. Yeah, that's good to hear. It's, as always, in the right direction, but long journey ahead of us. Alice, when you're talking to your customers, what are the practical problems that they're facing? 
as offshore council, Bradley, you know, we tend to be one step removed from the commercial discussions that are going on at the outset of the transaction and when they're trying to agree those primary facility documents. One advantage we do have, however, is we work with such a wide range of law firms, a wide range of clients across a wide range of jurisdictions. So we have a great bird's eye view of what's going on in the market. We don't have those intricate details, but we definitely get a good oversight. And what we see are there are a lot of different approaches that are being taken to the monitoring and reporting are against those agreed KPIs. And there are also a lot of different approaches and views being taken in relation to whether to outsource functions to specialist providers and which providers. And of course, there have been advantages there with the introduction of the sustainability linked loan principles, which makes that third party verification now essential. In relation to the finance documentation itself, there are obvious limitations in relation to what you can set out in a term sheet. We might see the inclusion of an agreement to agree, and that's a provision which can allow the parties to agree to settle those details further down the line, but really demonstrate that commitment to ESG economics and including those important KPIs, which really need a lot of input from the market players. And of course, let's not forget cost. You know, there's a cost associated with bringing in third-party auditors to assess portfolio companies' KPI progress. And these are all considerations that need to be kept in mind and that people are battling with when they're trying to get these facilities underway. Hopefully, the more we see, the more comfortable people are going to get and the more streamlined the process will become. Julia, I've been listening to Bradley and Alice, and I have to say, this all does sound like a bit of a headache, doesn't it? Do you you tell your clients that they really have to love and understand this, or do you just tell them, you just got to get on with it? Well, as Alice has mentioned, given the nature of our work as offshore finance lawyer, often advice would probably tend to fall on onshore counsel in the financing world. But Mm -hmm. from our vantage point and speaking generally with either of these options, I think the outcome is going to be broadly the same, which is most businesses need to incorporate ESG into their financing terms, either now or in the future. Whether that is because they really want to make a difference or because the markets demand it and or realistically, they just want a lower margin. The rules and regulations around sustainable financing, including measurement, KPIs, all of that kind of thing have developed so fast and just continue at pace. So that is real focus on meaningfully including ESG considerations in financing for those that want to. But ultimately, while I would absolutely love it if everyone took a love and understand it approach, I think even if you aren't getting on and doing it, you will likely face struggles down the line when hopefully, as we're talking about, all finance is sustainable finances. The businesses, the companies that haven't thought about it will struggle, I think, because they won't have the infrastructure or the know-how to effectively implement this sustainable finance. So I think realistically now it's a get on and do it, but it would be great if you could love and understand it as well. (laughs) Bradley, is there a, a price incentive to get people to embrace sustainable finance? There definitely is on a transaction by transaction basis, Mm. both a sustainability linked and a green loan come with a pricing differential, which rewards the customer for either investing or supporting a green project when we're looking at green loans or for taking steps that are material and ambitious to increase their ESG strategy and their performance towards that strategy. So there is a small financial benefit there, but 
the wider piece comes back to Julia's point in terms of the long-term performance and the ability to finance your business. If we look at the two main providers of capital that we often refer to, you have investors and then you have debt providers or finance providers such as banks. We know that investor preferences are changing towards ESG progressive investments. And so we're already seeing that shift and we're seeing those that are able to demonstrate that their investments are sustainable coming back to that regulation point and that Article 9 and and 8 points. They are benefiting already. What I think will come with time is banks themselves are setting their own targets to align with those global commitments such as the Paris Agreement. And within those goals that they are setting for themselves, there's often a target in relation to financed emissions. So that is taking account for the emissions of the counterpart that you are lending to as a bank and recognizing that we make decisions based on customers and where we allocate our own capital. And actually, that has a consequence. And we have the option to either lend that money and that capital towards an ESG progressive fund, or we have the opportunity to lend to a laggard. Now, Both of those moving in parallel, albeit investors are moving faster, I would generally say, than the banks themselves, will mean that eventually if you as a fund have not adopted ESG and you don't have the infrastructure in place and you can't demonstrate and disclose those qualities to the market, your cost of capital is going to be incredibly expensive if available at all. I'm sure there will be some areas where you can still gain capital. It's feasible that there will be pools within the market, but it's going to be incredibly expensive and that's what we think will happen. We can't be certain, but that is the trajectory that we're on today. So yes, in the short term, on a transaction basis, there's a small financial benefit, but actually the investment that funds make today in their ESG strategies will pay dividends in the long term. Julia, for anyone who's listening to this now and they're thinking, actually, I really do have to get on with this planning. What should they be doing this week, this month? It's clear ESG is no longer a trend. It's not a fad. It's not a buzzword. It's here to stay. So realistically, and, and really big picture here, rather than necessarily finance, I think it's mm. all practical. Just you know, review your business. Do you have a strategy? Is it clear? And do you have actionable steps in place? Bradley, you talk very well about the cost of capital. So on the financing level, do you have the necessary skills and knowledge and people within your business to help you manage and fulfill any requirements, any criteria, any KPIs that you're going to be looking in your finance stocks, whether that's from your investors or your lenders, ESG disclosure and maintenance is coming your way. I think we can all agree on that. And frankly, if you don't, that's completely fine. I'm sure there are plenty of people and businesses out there who don't speak to people who do. And an absolute shameless plug for Bradley. He is there helping his clients in this area right now. So just speak to people who do have know-how and experience in this area. And of course, second shameless plug, get legal advice (laughs) and speak to your lawyers as well, because certainly on the sustainable finance and your financing terms, you know, you you will need legal advice, obviously. And most law firms now have experts who can deal with this and, and really help find the solutions and parameters that are most suited to your business. Bradley, anything to add on that? Yeah, I would just echo the final point in regards to it doesn't necessarily matter who you go to to get this advice from the start. Just make sure you're having those conversations and that they are ongoing within your business because they need to start now if they haven't done so already, because quickly you'll find yourself falling behind the pack. We know as an industry that the evolving regulation is tough to meet and we only see it developing further at pace and in most places quicker than it is now. And so you need to be ready for that 
in the future. And then just one other point, when we talk often about financing and sustainability linked loans and, and KPIs in relation to those facilities, going through that exercise, even if you're not necessarily ready for the facility itself, can be a really helpful tool where banks can work with you to understand where are your priorities in relation to your ESG strategy? Mm-hmm. What is your focus for your investors? And that can be a really good conversation to get that process going. Any bank will tell you whether or not that facility is suitable or not as a responsible lender, but that process in itself may be helpful to start with. Well, that's all we got time for. But first of all, got to say thank you to our guest, Julia. Thank you very much. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for having us on. Alice, it's great to have you as well. Thank you so much, Tim. You did some really hard work on that one, Alice. Really, <laughs> really do appreciate it. And before you go, I was listening to a podcast the other day with both of you on it and also Bradley Davidson on it. What is this podcast? Thank you so much, Tim. Yes, that is the We Talk Banking and Finance with Walkers podcast, which is produced every couple of weeks. And as you can clearly tell, we only invite the most interesting and exciting guests onto our podcast. Um, but we, we essentially have a guest each time and we talk about the most interesting and current relevant topics in the banking and finance world. ESG, obviously, ref and finance and an upcoming a crypto podcast, which is really, really fascinating. Anyway, thank you so much. Yes, you can find it on your normal platforms if you'd be interested in listening. Absolutely. Listen to that. But first of all, make sure that you're well up to date on Just Transition. Yes. Thanks for listening, everyone. We are back next month with episode two of season two. But if you are thinking, first of all, I'd like to hear a little bit more from that Bradley. He sounds like he knows what he's talking about. Well, Bradley's going to be doing some flash briefings to keep us up to date with all the news in this area. So look out for those. We'll be carrying those as well. Meanwhile, if there are topics that you would like us to cover on Just Transition, let us know and we will do our best to deliver that. And also, if you really want to, and I'm sure you do, give us a review and remember to subscribe. But that's all we have time for, as I say. So, Bradley, thank you very much. Thank you, Tim. And thank you again to Julia and Alice for joining us. And to our listeners, we'll see you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.